Welcome to The Essential Rhythm, science-based natural history and human ecology of the North Atlantic seashore. This is episode 36, Keeping Track of the Rocky Intertidal. I was fortunate to spend last week volunteering with the National Park Service in Acadia National Park, working with the team from the Northeast Temperate Network's Inventory and Monitoring Program, part of the little-known science wing of the National Park Service. A group of colleagues and students from my home institution have had the good fortune to join the Northeast Temperate Network, also known by its acronym NETN, or NETN, for the past several years. Our mandate is relatively simple. We return year after year to the same six locations in the park, following a specific survey protocol to assess biodiversity in the Rocky Intertidal and monitor for changes in the intertidal community. It's a very interesting project to be part of, as the sampling sites were set up nearly 15 years ago and feature permanent plots in five different intertidal communities and three high to low water vertical transects and three tide pools. The plots in the intertidal communities, which include the barnacle zone, the muscle zone, the ascophyllum or knotted rack zone, the fucus or bladder rack zone, and the red algae zone, are all marked with corner bolts, which form a rectangle approximately one and a half by two and a half feet, and there are five of them in each of the intertidal communities. Each plot or quadrat is photographed and then searched for motile invertebrates, aka snails, limpets, and crabs. We get on our hands and knees and search through each plot, collecting every periwinkle, whelk, limpet, and crab we can find, as long as they measure more than 7 millimeters across. The invertebrates are then sorted by species, and a random sampling of 10 of each species is measured for length. The photographs of the plots give a quick assessment of the changes in the community year to year. We can see over time the battle between barnacles and fucus, or barnacles and mussels. Some years, the barnacle plots are really covered with barnacles. Other years, fucus invades these plots, and the photos show this clearly. The numbers and measurements of the invertebrates tell a story of how productive an ecosystem is and, and which species is doing well. When these data are collected in the long term, they can tell a big story of change or stability of communities over time. And before you ask, yes, after we count and measure the invertebrates, we return them to the community zone they were collected from. The transects are three lines of bolts that run from the splash zone to near the low water line. To sample these, we lay a tape measure along the bolt line and record what the tape is touching every 0.3 meters, whether that is bare rock, one of several different categories of algae, or sessile invertebrates like barnacles or mussels. Because we know the height of the bolts, we can tell if the different communities are shifting vertically in the intertidal zone. One hypothesis is that as sea levels rise, communities in the intertidal will shift up. Another way that environmental change is assessed is through the continuous measurement of water temperature. Each sample site has three temperature loggers placed in the low intertidal zone, which we read as part of each year's sampling. Sampling the tide pools allows for a peek into the subtidal zone, as tide pools are like islands of ocean surrounded by land. The undergraduate students we bring along for these sampling sessions are especially fond of donning the chest waders and scouring the tide pools for sea stars and sea urchins. Sea stars are predator of the subtidal zone, preying on bivalves and scavenging whatever else they can. Sea urchins are herbivores, especially of kelp, and both groups of invertebrates tend to be volatile population-wise. 
And throughout the time on site, we keep our eyes open for new species that are moving into the Gulf of Maine, things like Asian shore crab and several species of introduced colonial tunicates. And additionally, the sites are chosen in pairs. Each pair has similar physical attributes, but differs in accessibility to visitation. One of each pair is isolated and hard to get to, and thus sees relatively low rates of park visitors. The other of each pair is on a trail and carries a high visitor load. In addition to connecting the dots in terms of ecological change driven by environmental conditions, the impact of human visitation on the intracidal zone can be assessed by comparing sites pairwise. Keeping track of all of these metrics allows park managers to understand if and how ecological communities are changing in the land it has a mandate to protect. The Park Service is just starting to feel that it has collected data for enough years to be able to start analyzing it for trends. Comparing one year to another simply isn't enough to determine if things are changing. Year-to-year variability can tell a story that simply isn't borne out in long-term data. As someone who has worked for several years to count and measure all of these periwinkles and dog whelks, I am looking forward to learning what these data reveal. This has been episode 36 of The Essential Rhythm, written and produced by me, Sarah O'Malley. The show is produced on Wabanaki land. Check out photos of the net and field work on our Instagram, search at The Essential Rhythm. The theme music is Lightstream by the artist Siddhartha, used by permission through Creative Commons. Thanks for listening and join us next week.